gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Art with Chris Things. Welcome to what I believe is episode 10. Oh my gosh, we're into double digits of wrestling art with Chris Things. I am Chris Things, your host this week and every week. And this is our match of the week edition of the show, where I picked the, my, what ended up being my favourite match that I happened to watch that week. And uh, I, I did an art of it, and I, we nerd out about it, and we talk about it, both the match and the art, our general lives. And uh, this week I'm quite enthused uh, because we have a match that is one of my all-time favourites that I happened to watch uh, because my dear friend Bradley uh, was, was having a, a birthday celebrations where he decided... He'd invite his friends over and we'd watch some of his favourite matches. And then this was on the list and my gosh, uh, man, I'll talk about it more. Uh, I actually have Bradley uh, as the guest for this week's chat. Um, I think that's quite fitting, uh, all things considered. But yeah, we'll talk a bit more about that later on. But a uh, very, very fun one there if you haven't already Please go out of your way to watch Kenta versus Loki from Ring of Honor Final Battle. Um, just an amazing match, and I feel like it'll make it a lot more fun for you to then listen to this chat because you can you can be geeking out with us. I think that's a good thing. Uh, so we got that coming up shortly. I'll throw to Chris in the uh, in the. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. It's just me sitting here in front of my computer, but anyway, uh, I'll do that later. But this is a little bit where I talk about what I've had going on this week. Um, so this week we've had our two episodes, had that amazing chat with uh, Jonathan McBurney that I'm still so tickled about that that was so much fun um you could probably tell my voice i was just at such a great time nerding out about this this really um really specific niche thing <laughs> that is wrestling art uh basically what this whole podcast is meant to be so i thought that was such a great time um so i've turned it around done another podcast today uh that's, that's what i do here um, i'm about putting in that work Hope, uh, hope you guys are enjoying. So uh, this week, as I mentioned last time, it's been sort of that, that Christmas kind of period, so I've still been, still been doing some stuff. Um, I had that fantastic Christmas art exhibition experience <laughs> that I spoke about on the last one. <laughs> Holy dooly. Um, I, I will be posting that, uh, that, that sweet um, El Perico Guapito piece uh, for you very soon. Um, but uh, other than that, I haven't got to tell you about this other rad thing that I did. Um, I actually got to, to do the artwork, um, the, the, the faux album artwork 
an amazing concept that was brought to me by a uh, very talented video art uh, wrestling highlight uh, video dude IQ wrestler. Um, they approached me with a, a fantastic idea of, hey, I'm doing a Terry Funk highlight video. As part of it, I think for the, the cover image, we'll do like a bit of a, a faux um, Conrad Twitty uh, album cover, but like, replace him with like Terry Funk from that forever so the, the amazing all-time all-time great uh forever 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 um promo of his uh one of his first uh, retirements in all Japan pro wrestling as soon as he mentioned this I'm like I am I'm so bloody down for this I cannot imagine anything more up my alley um I assume your listeners, especially if you listen to our episode on the first match of the week that we covered with uh, uh, Terry and, and Dory against Abdul the Butcher and the Sheik, you guys know how much I, the, the deep, deep love that I have for Terry Funk. Um, uh, so anything that I could do there is uh, for, for, for Terry, you, you know, I'm doing it. Um, so I, I put together this illustration in the, the past week. Um, finished that up uh, and we even um, in addition to that to, to do a bit of a special thing we've put up a, a print that is available now on christhings.com.au uh, of this faux album cover uh, titled The High Priest of Pro Wrestling <laughs> Terry Funk uh, and I, I did this so you can purchase this this faux album cover um, in uh, your, your, you know, traditional uh, seven inch uh, for your, your smaller kind of uh, singles and stuff. Uh, you can get the, the, the in-between size of the 10 inch or you can get your full 12 inch full sized uh, edition of that, that print um, that I think is going to look so sick framed on anyone's wall uh, so if you like Terry Funk, if you like Conrad Twitty, <laughs> I don't think that part of it's essential. Um, but uh, yeah, that was just so fun. I'd uh, get on that if you if you want. Um, but yeah, that was just a joy to do, and it's got such a great reaction too. So I don't know what that means. Uh, whether I should um, do more more. Terry stuff. I don't think there's any question there whether I'll be doing more Terry stuff. There's definitely more Terry Funk uh, loving tributes coming to you in the, the near future. Um, but be sure to check out um, IQ Wrestler released their um, teaser of this full Terry Funk highlight video. Uh, so where you can actually see the, the um, album artwork come up um and and it's just such a tremendous little video so check out that uh that the shorter version um they've got it up now uh so if you check out iq wrestler on twitter that's probably the best place to find it um they got it on their, their vimeo page uh and then we will also be having the the full cut version that they'll be releasing in the near future too so i'll keep you posted on that but in the in the meantime jump on and have a, a gander at uh, that that um faux album artwork that i put together 
um, on uh, christhings.com.au. All right, but I think that's that's about enough of what I've been doing this week. Uh, I think it's time for us to talk about the perfect professional wrestling match that was Kenta versus Loki. All right, over to you, Chris. Okay, here we go. I uh, am very excited about this one, just between you and me listeners, but I have a gentleman on the line that is uh, formerly the sensation of the nation, the pearl of the Orient, a man known to many feared opponents as Soul, uh, but known to me as my dear friend, Bradley. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you, Chris. How are you this morning? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I uh, just got the uh, match of the week up um, of, of this past week. We had this episode delayed slightly because of the, the artist interview thing. Um, and then just, yeah, some of the, the Christmas stuff. So uh, thrown a, a little bit of things into the works. But, but good, good. Are you uh, still enjoying your holidays? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a teacher, so I'm on holidays for next month. Amazing. I'm, I, I'm not going back to work anytime soon. But, you know, in terms of the people waiting a bit longer, like, it's it's good things. You you Good things come to those who wait, yeah? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you still in uh, visiting family down in uh, northern New South Wales, I believe? No, we were just going for a um, a holiday thing for a few days, so I'm all, I'm back home. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. Have you been watching much of the Russells of late? Uh, no, I was watching some YouTube videos about Pride instead. I'm just like, I think I, I think I just like the fake fighting better than this. This. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So what, what got you down the rabbit hole of watching videos about Pride? Uh, I think I watched some other video where they recommended the channel. So I'm like, oh, and the first video I watched was about punk's ufc thing and then i went on to the just the the, the straight mma videos up, uh video after that and it's this big long like three hour video so i've just been sort of working through that Ooh. so is this sort of like one of those um things where it talks about like the history and the weird behind the scenes stories and all that kind of stuff yep yep that's it oh my gosh that sounds way up my alley damn i used to love pride yeah me too i like i was like Early on, I was like, "Oh, the Sakuraba and 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 like the like the exhibitiony matches where they've just got a giant guy and a little guy, and just like, there's there's no weight classes. It's just put on a put on a weird show. Yeah, um, just so many steroids, all of the production yeah. values. Yeah, that's that's one of the things the the video is pointing out is that it introduces like a new a new guy that they're talking about, and just like, and this guy is just like a, a steroid factory." He's, there was a lot of them, a lot of just ridiculously massive guys because they didn't have testing in Pride. They didn't check any of that. No, they basically gave you a little little home home kit to get you going on steroids like before you entered competition, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, there are body guys there like Vince, you know. They, they, 
You've got a better show if everyone's just juiced out of their mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and also, I love the fact that it was all just like basically thinly veiled run by the Yakuza. Yeah, yeah, that, they talk about that in the video as well. I'm like, oh, there you go. And it's very much in control of that whole thing. Yeah, I uh, was a big fan. My official favorite of that era was uh, the axe murderer of Vandalay Silva. You know what? They, they talked about him, and when they've got the video of him on the screen mm. relating to the match we're going to talk about this week, I'm just like, Loki looks like a like a like a smaller Vandalay Silva. <laughs> that is so funny that you say that. So again, like relating to this match we're talking about this week, this classic between uh, Kenta and Loki. When I was watching this match, in fact, there was like so many little things where I was like. I really get Vandalay Silver vibes out of this like prime era Loki. Yeah, I think his face has got similar sort of features, and he's he's a hard kicking dude. So yeah, it lines up. Yeah, just like a little ball of fucking fury in the same way. <laughs> uh, he's a mad little man. Yeah, I like. No, I didn't say that. He's not a little man. He's he's a terrifying <laughs> man. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to sound dismissive towards Loki at all. Brad, might I say that it is not about the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight he will bring. Yeah, Loki brings a lot of fight. I really should have said that in more of a gruff, like, low, low baseball <laughs> voice, but, you know. Man, I uh, just adore Loki so much, um, I think. There was, like, a weird time in wrestling that happened where... People stopped liking Loki. Um, I mean, I yeah, sure, like the the COVID anti-vaxxer stuff. Yeah, all right, all right. But like more so, um, it seemed like there was a bit where, like somehow, I think this was where I kind of fell out of the wrestling like common kind of uh, perception. Like I remember, especially watching this kind of era of wrestling. Right, it's that classic mm. era of like mid two thousands ROH. It was like. We used to just love seeing, like, the really stiff shit, like, the really, like, guys, like, that would kick the fuck out of one another. Um, and basically the harder guys went, the better it was. Um, yeah. And it was just the best thing in the world. Um, uh, you know, between, like, Joe and, and Loki and, like, Super Dragon and all that kind of stuff. And then something happened where it seemed like the the wrestling fans changed recently and it was like, no, we don't like that anymore. We like watching guys that are safe. And these guys are dangerous. And we don't like watching dangerous guys. And I'm like, what? Why would that matter to a wrestling fan? You're just watching it. You're not in the ring. I, yeah, I, I sympathize with that. I don't, I don't like seeing people get hurt, says the fan of pro wrestling and pride. And, but... <laughs> We're just talking about Vandalay Silver and soccer kicks. <laughs> But I feel like with, with these guys back then, like, a lot of it was, like, hit really hard, which that's not necessarily unsafe. It It's painful the next day and at the time, but it's not like it's unsafe. Like, it's dropping people on their heads is unsafe. Like, that's where, where people get, like, permanent hurt. Yeah. But, like, getting a really hard kick to the chest, unpleasant at the time, but not unsafe. Yeah, I guess more the stuff of this that sort of stands out to me a bit more is, like, the kicks to the head. Um, yeah. And I guess that is one thing to be said that's fair in um, 
I mean, it's it's weird to say, like, you know, everything's come out with concussions and CTE and everything like that thereafter. At the same time, if we transport ourselves back to 2005, it's not like people thought getting kicked in the head wouldn't be bad for you ultimately yeah. long term. But I guess it just got a bit more obvious or overt, right? Yeah, well, they could test better for it and that sort of thing. But to start, to bring that back to the, this match, which we haven't really started talking about, but just, it's like one of the things I thought about while watching it is because when I was, I went to search for it again so I could rewatch it, mm. and there's like uh, a search low key, and it's got clips of like low key kicking young boys real hard, or, or shoot kicking Chris Hero in the face. These are the things that came up first instead of the match I wanted to watch. Oh. And I'm like, that hero match, by the way, from uh, is that the the PWG one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that is a bloody tremendous match. That was one of the uh, matches from uh, that Phil Schneider picked for the original Wave the Blade book. Um, oh, okay. And that was just a delight to to watch for sure. So another classic there. But yeah, with that, then like rewatching this match, I'm just like, I feel like Loki's got to um, he's he's showing a bit more respect to to Kenta than he might have to some of these other people, just because. Like, knowing Kenta will dish it straight back. They're both going to kick each other in the head if the other one gets out of line. Yeah. So, like, the kicks to the head were, were maybe a more sensible or, or, or considered kick to the head rather than just to... <laughs> I mean, I definitely didn't feel like he, you know, they, he went, like, light on him in any no, sense. No, no, no. Like, he'll take it out hard on these, you know, dudes who can't fight back, but then he'll go, like, real you know, easy on a dude like Kenta. Like, I think he still went hard, but yeah, oh, yeah. a bit more considered, I would feel. Yeah. yeah. But... No, no, no taking advantage of Kenta. <laughs> I mean, the thing with Kenta, though, as well, people, and I think we said this when we watched this match originally, Kenta at that time was known as being this vociferous little dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Like, his main stuff is, like, you watch those matches of, like, him, like, bowing up to... Kobashi or to um you know Misawa back in the day or it's like a, a awesome awesome one with him against uh, Tenru uh, during that, this sort of era of uh, of Noah um and it's basically just like him having the temerity to just be such a little asshole and then he yeah. generally would sort of get his ass handed to him as a result, but it would never stop him from uh, from you know showing those asshole tendencies. Yeah, like when I'm watching this match, I'm just like they're they're both like very uh, tough, kicky, like angry guys. But Cantor is definitely this this just more of a dickhead character, and it's it's delightful, just like. I mentioned on the when we were watching it, but like his move where he does the springboard over the ropes and just like the back kick to the head. I'm just like, I was like, I hope he does that because it's been a while since <laughs> I watched the match. And then when he did it, I'm like, yeah, this just it's like it's not the big kick, it's not the big high spot, it's just the Kenta being a dickhead. And I'm like, I love it so much. And I think that is really the stuff that originally like got kenta over both like to a japanese audience like what we're saying about sort of that that real little dickhead kind of like vibe but then also to like an american audience because this is sort of when he's like well into that real kind of um 
American ROH like he's he's got quite a few shows under his belt and the fans like really have he's he's won them over already kind of thing and I think the stuff that really won them over was was that kind of thing like that amazing spot where he jumps over teases he's gonna do like a big stomp or something and then just this little asshole kick to the face yeah so good good. but before we get too much into the match I bring in back to what you were saying about you know the the head kicks and things like that, I uh, I did want to tell our listeners a little a little story, uh, regale them with a, a story because as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you uh, were were once a, a awesome uh, Brisbane based professional wrestler, um, and I I would say uh, one of the the few guys. Um, from the Brisbane wrestling scene back in the day when, when we were both doing it, uh, that, that made people be like, Oh shit, Australian wrestling can actually be good. Um, and, and who a lot of people would, would look up to. So I wanted to put you over in that sense, but so in that vein, uh, there was, there was one time we may have done it more, but I I distinctly remember us getting to wrestle like one singles match. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was when I was a, a plucky young baby face who had a lot of, uh, dumb ideas, uh, but was just <laughs> trying to, you know, do all of this, all of the things without any concern for, for my safety, uh, which ultimately probably is what, what led to me having too many concussions to wrestle anymore. However, when we wrestled, I remember being so nervous because I, uh, I, yeah, I looked up to you so much. You were uh, the big, uh, kicky kind of kind of dude. Just had that real like badass kind of like aura, and like had those rad like work rate kind of style matches that not everyone could do at that time. So I wanted to you know make sure that I could you know be be up to up to scruff as best I could. And I remember when we were like putting the match together. Um, I'm not sure if you recall this, but, uh, I remember just thinking, all right, what can I do with like Brad's rad kicks to, to be like the most badass looking kind of thing. And so, you know, as like a guy who's less experienced, you, you sort of give some suggestions or whatever. Um, one of them was for the going into the finish or the finishing sequence. So as a plucky young baby face, I did that kind of, you know, generic baby face shit, like a big uh, cross body off the top, all that kind of stuff. And I remember having the idea of like, it would be so sick if I can do like right near the finish, like my last sort of big, you know, move, I could go for like a big cross body off the top. And then Brad just like catches me midair with like a real hard, like big kick to the face. <laughs> I don't remember, but this sounds like me. And then I distinctly remember telling you that. And then you would be, and then your response was just like, no, we're not going to do that. That would really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't want people to get hurt. <laughs> So ultimately, I feel like I wanted to give you a little, a little thank you, uh, both from me, um, also probably from my current partner, Kaylin, uh, for, for likely preventing me from, from getting uh, one more concussion than I would ultimately <laughs> get for the rest of my wrestling days. You see, and the thing is, you say, oh, like, not look up to me, but like, consider me this, this badass. It's like, I, because I was, I was a veteran in the company with my like two years of experience. That was... <laughs> 
because that's the level of Brisbane wrestling was. It's like more than more than just a like straight out of training rookie. That's top guy. <laughs> like okay, nothing sums up Brisbane wrestling better than that. Hey, yeah. And also, I mean, this sort of makes a lot of sense and tying it back for our listeners for, for the reason why, you know, I had, had to get you on the show to talk about this match. Because uh, in addition to, uh, as I said in my, my write-up for, for the match, um, I actually re-watched this because, you know, we were hanging out on your birthday and we were watching a bunch of your favourite wrestling matches, um, this being one of them. And I always, mm-hmm. you know, love this match. It's an all-time, all-time favourite. Um, and, and then you re-watch it and sometimes these uh, matches kind of don't live up to, to that rosy version of it in your head. Uh, but this one, if anything, like over-delivered. But, like, in us watching that match, like you said that, like both of these kind of guys between like Loki and Kenta basically sort of like created your whole approach and, and style of, of what you did back in the day in, in wrestling. Yeah. Like that, that was, that was my character was just hard kicks guy. And which is like, not didn't have the, 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 the good dickheadness of, of Kenta. I didn't have necessarily the, the full aggression of a, a Loki, but the hard kicks, that's what I, that's what I took. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an important thing. Did you, I assumed you, similar to like a, a Kenta, had uh, some sort of um, kicky martial arts experience prior to wrestling? Yeah, I'd done Taekwondo for a while. So I, like I had, I, I, I knew I could do the kicks. So I'm like, yeah, so I'll, so I'll do the kicks. So that's where the ring name came from, that Seoul is like capital of South Korea, it's, it feels very cringy for it to have been Seoul now, but <laughs> that's, that's what it was when I made up my name in my early 20s. But yeah, because that's capital South Korea, which is where Taekwondo comes from. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a kicks guy. So I'm going to lean into that. Why not? It makes a lot of sense. I might I say that the Pearl of the Orient nickname was like my favorite thing and still is possibly my favorite Australian professional wrestling moniker. I... Yep. <laughs> I'm not going to comment too much on that. And I love it. But, but I think um, Mr. J came up with that and I love Mr. J. So it's, it's fine. And that's a good one to bring up. Uh, Mr. J, um, for our listeners, uh, was a, a, a real um, sort of big, uh, significant name um, in the Queensland wrestling scene. Uh, as a commentator, um, but it did a lot of other stuff. And but his art, man, um, is like quite widely known. Like he's done rad stuff for uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and like all sorts of shit. Um, I would love to get Mr. J on the show to talk about the wrestling art at some point in the future. Yeah, that'd be a pretty pretty good for for like the artist series. Like, yeah, Mr. J would be a great one. Yeah, for sure. And all of his rad knowledge of like New Zealand and Australian wrestling history, I think that'd be really cool too. Um, but yeah, yeah, getting getting back to the the main point, um, did you? So with the Taekwondo, so I before I got into wrestling had a bit of like a jujitsu background. I never really like did anything with it, and if anything, it probably made certain stuff more difficult to kind of like relearn. Um, sort of a bit of a regret. I maybe didn't do more of that sort of side of it. But for you, did the taekwondo training? You said it like you just got you to do the kicks. Was there a part of like the relearning of the kicks to sort of not kill people as much, or was it just kind of like what you knew from like exhibition kind of stuff? 
Well, I've never done any exhibition stuff for Taekwondo, but it was, I think there was like, yeah, there's relearning because wrestling, like a super kick isn't a thing you do in Taekwondo, but you got, you've got the flexibility and the sort of the knowing how to move your body in, in ways to get your legs up there. So I, I think it helped more than, than sort of needed, was a big issue for needing to relearn anything. It's just gave that good foundation. Cool. That makes sense. I I feel like I want to say Nakajima also has a Taekwondo background. I may be getting that wrong, um, but yeah, I guess it uh, definitely works well. But so on to the match. So uh, for for our listeners, we've, we've talked a little bit about it, but as a as an official um, intro. So this one actually took place at. Um, final battle originally when we were talking about it um i remember thinking for some reason it was on one of the knights of the glory bayona doubleheader um yeah i went back and looked that up and it's like no kenta wasn't there at all yeah no i think was that was like misawa tagging with someone kabashi or misawa which i might think the wrong one one of those two. Either way, either way. So it wasn't that one, <laughs> but this no. did take place uh, on uh, the 2005 final battle. Um, one of the final battles that took place in Edison, New Jersey, that I don't remember. I think that might have been the only Jersey-based final battle that they did before it sort of found its home more in like the New York kind of uh, tradition market of all those awesome ones that the... Manhattan Center and the the Hammerstein Ballroom um, on from that, uh, but at the the prestigious Inman Sports Club um, <laughs> on December seventeenth two thousand five, and this another interesting part of this was it was for the Noah's GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship, which um, Kenta was was champion at the time, and I don't know whether this is true or not. But I listened to a, um, a shoot interview uh, with somebody who said that Gabe Sapolsky came up to them while they were watching this match at the curtain. And he said to them, hey, do you know I actually don't know who's going to go over in this match or what the finish is? <laughs> in theory, because I guess it was, um, you know, for, for Noah's title. Um, and it was like a Noah call, and apparently he said he like didn't want to know or whatever. But that I don't know. That sounds a little bit. What do you think of this? Yeah, that sounds like like I could see like the Noah guys being the ones who make the choice, but for him to not know, like if if Key's going over, he needs to know that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, it makes her a good story. It was it was Sal Renoro, by the way. I'm just remembering now who who said this in a, a little interview, um, who was uh, a really fun name back in the day in ROH, but he said he would always be at the, the front of the, the curtain to watch any match, and he was just like such a mark getting to see this one. And yeah. apparently Gabe came up to him, and, and they watched it together, and that's what he told him. Like, uh, well, sure, why not? It doesn't matter at this point, so the go with the story. The story's more fun. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, but so at this point, I think in ROH history, you have to sort of like paint the picture a little bit of Loki being just the, the ultimate badass of the company. 
he sort of was like the, the first ROH champion, kind of the, the real like most over baby face you could possibly imagine. Then we had the, the big bit of um, Xavier getting the, the upset um, win over him and, and taking the belt. I remember in high, at that time, a lot of people were very upset about that. But I think in hindsight, Xavier's run was actually like pretty good and probably good for the time because it set the table for... Did Joe win it off of Xavier? Uh, yeah, yeah. Joe was third and then he had that long run. Yeah. And then uh, Loki, I guess, a little bit before this, turned heel with the, um, the, the formation of the Rottweilers. Because I'm pretty sure this is where we had uh, uh, Julius Smokes with um, Loki and Homicide and the, the Havana Pitbulls of uh, Rocky and Ricky Reyes, right? Yeah, that's that's peak peak, uh, peak low-key for me. I loved his gangster key look. Oh, with the sweet, like, bandana, like, over one of the eyes? Yep, and, like, the one hard, pant leg hard look. rolled up. I, I don't know what it is, but it looks cool, and low-key looks cool rocking it. <laughs> <laughs> so good and then as we were saying kenta came in and just instantly built up this rep of having all these like badass matches and won the crowd over instantly so part of this match i think you can feel it um uh on even on the entrances and and like getting into the like just the ring introductions and stuff on this match it had that like real vibe of like everyone being like holy fuck we're gonna see something magical here it's like two you know the whole i don't know indomitable force versus the movable object kind of thing uh but it um so the thing was we the version we watched i think was it on like we watched the vimeo version uh, it was just from... Or maybe it was on Honor Club, I can't remember. It's on, like, Ring of Honor's YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. But so that version didn't have the entrances. No. So then didn't. when I did the rewatch of it to, to you know, get the, um, you know, work out which particular uh, moment I was going to try to, you know, capture for, for the illustration, um, I, I wanted to sort of, like, soak it up in its full kind of glory. So I even, like, went into my storage room to try to find my old, like, ROH dvds for this one um and i sadly came up uh i i have it somewhere but i'm pretty sure it must be in like my parents house in a box somewhere or something like that um so alas but then i i did uh find a a version that actually had the entrances intact uh which was so cool and it brought me a whole nother wave of nostalgia and I, i forgot how much i loved those fucking um grimy uh metal sheet metal um uh sign things that they had along the along the guardrails and the way everyone would like fucking bang on those things yeah the amount of people that must have gotten like cut up and gotten like fucking staph infections (laughs) and shit from the or like tetanus from the rust on those motherfuckers but i don't care it was cool as shit yeah no there, there was a lot of nostalgia watching that match for me for for like things, things like the guardrail thing, like even the commentary. When I was watching, I'm just like, I'm not even sure if this is good commentary, but I love it so much. Just because this was when I was like getting into Ring of Honor, or like this whole like from 2003 through 2006 was like big time for me getting into it. And so I'm just like, all the Ring of Honor stuff from that era, I'm just like, I love it. I love it all so much. 
Oh, for sure. And I have nothing but good things to say about this commentary. I'd say this was actually the pairing, like ROH's probably best long-term commentary pairing um, between Lenny Leonard and and Dave Prezak. Uh, I thought they were were awesome in terms of how they'd, just just everything about it, between the play-by-play and also getting in the history and things like that. Like that, one of the things about old retro classic ROH that I, you know, the stuff that I originally started watching, that if you rewatch now, that it gives a bit of a sour taste to it, is the old ones. I'm not sure if you recall um, the old ones that had uh, Gabe's commentary back in his Jimmy Bauer days. Oh, uh, was that like the first year or so of it? I want to say the first couple years. Yeah, first yeah, okay. couple years. So probably like 2002, 2003. And then yep. I feel like they, they got away from it maybe around 2004-ish. But, yeah, by comparison to that, this was friggin' classic commentary. But I also want to give shout-out to shortly after this when they had their um their HD net days. I was a big fan of, do you recall um the hog, Mike Hog Hodgewood? I don't know, but maybe if I heard him, but no. Oh, so this was, that, that was when I think they got an HD net and the the station HD Next, I think that was owned by Mark Cuban at the time. Um, they wanted sort of a, a proper sports voice to be on the commentary for their their TV um, product side of it. Um, so for all the HD Net tapings, they had uh, Dave Prezak with this amazing old sports broadcaster guy who basically had no idea about what professional wrestling was. <laughs> so you just got. Such an amazing, like, authentic, like, real reaction to it. Kind of in the same magic of, like, like Don West um, from classic TNA days. Yeah. Um, and, like, stuff like when there was something dirty going on, a guy took, like, a cheap win. You never heard someone more bloody outraged than the <laughs> He was just like, how is this happening? This is outrageous. And he also had the the classic closing line of like when the match was over um, of, I'm not sure if this rings a bell, of slap the porpoise, it's over. (laughs) I don't remember that, but maybe maybe I don't need to go back and watch matches just for the commentary from, from the hog era. Yeah, I mean, I don't, this is another thing where I think a lot of people fucking hated Mike Hodgewood's commentary because, again, he didn't really know anything about wrestling. But, I mean, listen to in the right lens. Bloody tremendous stuff. I, I love the hog. So good. But anyway, uh, that's enough of a sidetrack on that one. Back to the match. We've kind of set the table here of basically it's two bloody killers going up against one another and and the crowd all knew it and there was just like this magic in the air of just like holy shit um that i i can't remember the last time um a match like in sort of contemporary wrestling has had that kind of like feeling for me so that was kind of really cool yeah like it's it's a dream match but in that sort of small enough area where you just feel the energy of the crowd knowing that they're getting to to experience something and like yeah there's there's a lot of dream matches that do that in like in your, in your indie things but like these are outside of wwe but like two of the biggest names in the world so to do that in an arena holding however many people like not a huge amount of people it's like it's there's a lot of energy there it's probably like 600 fans right so yeah and then i think a big thing as well that i wanted to hammer home too is like at this point, it's like you can't 
you, it gets lost a little bit when you're rewatching it, but like from the memory of getting into those sort of early days of ROH, it had such like a vibe of, of being sort of like a upstart kind of like against the grain, like recreating like wrestling, like against the mainstream, like this underground kind of thing that was like so fresh and, and different and like, I don't know, there was, like, such an identity about it, like, similar to, like I said in the write-up, I think, to, um, you know, ECW back back in the day where it was, like, kind of felt like there was this, like, revolution going on by this small pocket of, like, this cult of wrestling fans. ROH had that same sort of, like, vibe back in the day, so I think that was definitely, for me, part of the, the nostalgia as well where you sort of remember what that kind of felt like. Yeah. And especially, like, the anticipation, man. Like, I don't know about you, but I back then was, you know, getting these DVDs in the mail. Yep. Um, and, and so a match would happen and you don't get to watch it for, like, months. And then it finally comes and, like, I'd, I'd open up that little mailer envelope and oftentimes I get it with like some some had these sweet like Noah shirts and stuff that you could get on their website or like old ROH merch and and it would be so fucking exciting. <laughs> yeah, and like you'd want to avoid spoilers, so you wouldn't have watched necessarily the results to the thing. So you just because I, I wouldn't buy all the DVDs, but buy the ones that I'm like, oh, that's got matches on it that sound really awesome. So yeah, you'd buy the your, the final battle. I, final battle from next year i think it's the one with danielson kenta it's like i don't know who wins this match mm. but it's danielson kenta like i clearly want to watch it so you just buy that and a few other dvds at a time just like i'm, I'm in because they and like if you saw it was going to be like two guys who could put on a match it invariably would be a good match that i feel like they never let you down for that yeah yeah i think at this time like roh was just known like within the industry of like having such a high standard of work to where it's like yeah. anyone there, like sometimes you'd watch certain matches of like certain promotions around that time. Like I used to love MLW back in the day, but it was almost like a lot of the time you'd see really great guys in the ring with one another and it just wasn't quite as good as you thought it would be. But in ROH, it's like almost they had like the pressure of like, all right, this is a big match in, in Ring of Honor at that time. So everyone had like their, their working boots on a bit more, I guess. Yeah. I think what always contributes to like those big matches, having that extra thing that makes them awesome is is often the, the crowd with them. And again, because you've got that small crowd who was super into it. And I was sort of a bit worried thinking – like in all the wrestling crowds, sometimes they can feel like they're maybe a bit obnoxious, a bit, oh, we're, we're too smart. But like the crowd here, not at all. Like they're just genuinely into this really awesome match. And so like that always elevates a match when you've just got that crowd being so into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just brought it to, to the next level when you have a crowd that's like knows they're going to see something special and are there for it and are reacting in like an authentic kind of way for it. Um, a, a big thing that stood out to me as well. So with, with some of these changes of wrestling, like I was saying, sort of like with stuff now, it's so faster to consume it. And like, you know, something happens, you watch it like either live or the next day on fight TV or whatever. It's like so easy to, to get this stuff now. So it sort of yeah. takes away a bit of the anticipation a bit. Um, but also like from a, 
crowd perspective. I think it's almost like the crowd's gotten so like meta and trained in certain things to where a match gets into a certain gear now with current wrestling and there's like the automatic like, you know, this is awesome, uh, you know, or like Fight Forever. I yeah. hate the Fight Forever one, but you know, all those kind of like standard trope chants to where it's like people are doing them because it's almost like, oh, yeah, this is the bit where we do that kind of thing rather than like watching this one when the like the there's a point like in the home stretch of this match when the the this is awesome chant starts yeah and it's like so much more to me like of of a real one like you're like yeah this fucking is awesome and you're like I don't know. It just felt so much more real. Yeah. You, you need to express how awesome you feel this is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't hold this in anymore. I need to tell everyone how awesome this is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on to the, the match itself. See, that's that's why I'm, I was going to say, that's why I ended up like rewatching and taking notes for this because I, I didn't want to just come in and just be like, okay, we're going to talk about this match for an hour. And I'm just pretty much going to say, this is awesome. This is so good for an hour. It's like, <laughs> I, no, because <laughs> it was, it was awesome. It's so good. But like specific stuff happened. I had to. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's good. So, so what, what specifics, uh, what, what actually made it, awesome for you like what was the first kind of stuff that, that stood out to you just like this was fucking crazy like even from the start just appreciating how explosive low-key is like it's been a while since i've seen a low-key match and and so going back to prime low-key like there's a lot of dudes who can kick hard but he kicked hard and fast and it's just so explosive every time you're just like man it just looks so cool and and badass and it's like i love and i feel like I've watched, I've like, like listened to all of your match of the weeks and watched all of the match of the weeks. And every time I watch the match and it ends up being, there's one guy in the match who really impresses me. Like they're both great wrestlers, but there's always one guy who I'm just like, oh, I forgot how good this guy was. And last week it was Romero or the week before. Yeah. And, but this one, it's like, mm-hmm. I love low key and I love Kenta, but low key in this match, I'm just like, man, low key was good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank thank you for the loyalty there for <laughs> watching every everyone, listen everyone. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, man, I I think the thing about Loki that stood out to me on watching this, which I I never really forgot about Loki, but just like stood out to me. It's like even obviously yeah, that the kicks and everything fucking like badass. Um his his chops as well in this one. Yeah. Um. I forgot how rad his chops are, but then also just like the in between those things, the way he like carries himself mm-hmm. and does that like low key kind of like walk, like he's a really fucking angry ape or something who's just like fucking out out um alpha mailing all the other apes in the enclosure just from like his his alpha male like walk and like presence and that whole side of it just like the the energy that loki put into everything um and the mannerisms and everything like that 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 all kind of like that's the ultimate stuff that i think built in to me that that got across that kind of like ultimate like badass like bad mother kind of like aura that loki like just made him so special yeah and like that was one of the the notes I put down for myself was like, low key if he was like a, a blank creator wrestler in a video game, but he was moving like 
like low key. It's like, you know, that's low key. You don't need to, like, even without the facial expressions, just the way he moves is just so unique and, and like gets across his, his whole vibe so well. And it's not even just the, like, I'm the tough guy. Like he's, he's, he's hunched over sort of gorilla sort of thing when he's approaching someone like to, to, to mess him up. But like when he's bumping and selling, like even right near the start, like he does that, that, armbar over the rope in the corner and then when like the referee breaks it up he sort of just sort of spring rolls out to the floor and like because he's just he can move and like roll through stuff and it just looks so cool and then he like stands back up into his stance looking like a badass and just like he moves in the most unique and entertaining way yeah so good so good um the i think the thing about Loki is that he, and this is often a thing that he um, would be criticised for, like more more recently, you know, by these kind of like fans that, that that are so opposed to that Loki whole vibe, is that he took everything so seriously. He and every little thing that he did in the ring, I think he took so seriously, and that's ultimately what like made him so great yeah like it's the fact that he took it so seriously yeah and that adds to his character and that's and you can see the the two character things with these two guys then like against each other like Loki is taking it seriously all the time and Kenta like he'll take it seriously sometimes but then he'll do that dickhead stuff in between and so like even though they are so similar then you get that that bit of difference between them that is super entertaining and then there's like even a spot in the match where Loki starts to do like the dismissive kicks to the head mm-hmm. and he can't keep it up for more than like two kicks. Cause then after that, it's like, he just cuts, starts kicking hard again. Because he's like, no, I can't even, <laughs> it, it feels like he's like, I'm going to try and be disrespectful, like, disrespectful like Kent was to me. And then no, no, I just got to kick hard. That's, that's clearly who I am. Man, I love those. I can't remember where in the match it was, but those, that point where he like did those Kawada kicks, man brought me so much joy yeah so what have you got next on on your your list of memorable moments oh again just more stuff like he was doing well like his big double stomp um out of the sunset flip oh so cool. like Kenta does the sunset flip to him and instead of going all the way over he just stomps but again he does it so explosively and even but he still gets high on the jump so I don't know how it happens so quickly but like Sometimes there's moves like that and you feel like, why didn't the guy just move? Like, it looks like he had time. It's like, not when Loki does stuff because he's so explosive when he does it. You're just like, bam, it hits straight away. It's like, oh, yeah, no one was moving out of the way of that. And he had it. Yeah, exactly. And then that's the same with his other, like, the, the big corner stomp where he does, like, the grind on the knee first. It's like... You buy that Kent has to sit up, and then somehow Lee Key jumps in the air and stomps down on him. I'm like, it's just gravity. He can't make that faster, but somehow it's still so fast and explosive. He got so high on it too. That was the big thing. Yeah. He. It, it, I think we mentioned this when we were watching it together too. It's like just the way that was set up, I thought, made so much sense and was so much more plausible than like, I remember specifically when um, Alberto Del Rio was, was doing that uh, top, top rope tree of woe sit up double stomp as like a finish in WWE. And the way he would set it up was so just like the opposite, just like the most implausible, like just bullshit 
kind of setup yeah. where you watch this, you're just like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's you feel like yelling at the screen when it's done badly. It's like just move. He's right there. <laughs> just don't sit up. <laughs> but not when Key does it. It's like oh no, I got he's you got to get up to fix your knee that he's grinding his foot into, and then bam, you've just got two feet in your face. Yeah, so great those those stomps, man. Like I don't think anyone in wrestling since has done like as good uh, or not not even as good. It's course, of course it's not going to be as good, but like anything approaching how great Loki would do it. Yeah. And I love that in Japan, it's still referred to as the ghetto stomp, like on Japanese commentary, when <laughs> it's still a stomp. And it's like such a funny, like cross-cultural like thing to hear, like in the midst of Japanese commentary, like ghetto stomp. <laughs> Just to keep talking about the stomps, then his top rope, like, stomped her when, when Kent is on the mat. That one as well. He, again, he leaps up so high. And some people, they, you can sort of see them sort of slipping off when they hit the person. When they hit, mm-hmm. Like, when he hits Kent on the mat, he could have sort of slipped off. So it looks like, yeah, he's done a stomp, but he's kept it safe. But somehow Key sort of just looks like he just collapsed. Like a Devitt kind of one. Yeah. And, I mean, I get it. If you're stomping on someone five nights a week, you, you don't want to crush them. But... Key's just like feels like he's putting his whole weight and then he sort of collapses down onto it. And yeah, his every version of his stomp just looks so vicious. Mm. Uh, another thing that I really loved about the match was sort of the the tempo of it. So it was done a lot more kind of like in in a lot of ways I thought it was a classic um Noah junior heavyweight style match. Like a, along the veins of like what you you know see those classics between like Kenta and Marafuji or, um, you know, Kenta and uh, Nakajima or was like Kanemaru back in the day, all those kind of awesome ones where it was a lot more kind of back and forth. Yeah. Um, it wasn't – and I think that set it apart from, you know, what we get from a lot of um, American wrestling where it's sort of like that – following that, that, you know, real same – formula of of putting a match together every single time so i thought it kept it really alive all the way through there was no point where you're like okay this is the part where we're sitting through the heat or, or whatever um the whole time it was almost like it was almost like the entire match was like a finishing sequence if that makes sense yeah like it, it feels like you're reading my note at the moment because like my note here is the pace is so good the build-up never felt like filler like they got the finishing sort of sequence starts at some point but like it's you always feel like they're trying to get to each other and they're like back and forth the whole time. It's not just like, okay, now we've got to do some chain for a bit or some rest holds for a bit. It's like, no, they're, they're trying to get each other the whole time. And even when it is a rest hold, like Key locks him in with like the, the body scissors, just oh, working his so abdomen cool. at some point. It's like, but it still looks nasty. It looks like Key's trying to crush his ribs. But for them just laying on the mat for a minute. It's like, but it's so good. And again, that's that's like low-key with the, the seriousness, right? It's like yeah. even at a point where in other matches you'd be like, okay, this is the, the rest hold or whatever. For Loki, there is no no part of it where it's just a rest hold. He's even doing that with like an intensity. Yeah. Um, and it, it's great that you reminded me of that because that was one of the things I really dug about the match too, uh, especially on like my second rewatch of it. It stood out to me the idea of, of Loki working like the ribs 
Um, and yeah, when he gets like that sort of like bear hug from behind when he's like on the ground too. And then that making so much sense later on with the, the big stomps, um, and, and the kicks to the, the midsection yeah. and the, the ribs. Yeah. Cause like, and that's where like he's done his, in the match where he did the shotgun drop kick. So like, you know, straight into that midsection again, mm. slams Kenta back into the corner. And that's after that's when he done this, did the stomp. And I went back and. I rewatched it, but then I also went back to try and work out where you did your art from, like the the oh yeah, the the frame that you were using as your inspiration, and I found yeah. it like it was like just after that stomp, the like the, the big delay on the cover because they're just both so exhausted by that point because like Cantor's just been worked all the way over them, um, and then yeah, sort of they've worked, gone over to the other side of the ring for for the attempt for the pinfall, and then the um the cover after that and then then slowly getting up was your artwork and just like yeah in the match and in your artwork the exhaustion you can feel from them because they've just been beating the hell out of each other for 20 something minutes yeah i i'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah that was the big thing um of just capturing that like just sheer sort of like exhaustion from the pace that have they've been setting but then also there was like so much that was great about it of sort of like one of the few moments of like Kenta showing a little bit of like vulnerability um, after he's just had his bell fucking yeah. rung and he's like reaching towards those those ropes um, and low key kind of like rising behind him like a fucking demon. <laughs> I thought that's just like such a cool kind of visual and also like just again like we're talking about that classic low key kind of like posture of like this like seething kind of yeah. like dude. So. Uh, yeah, that, that was a big part about that. But I think it's quite funny, like doing a few of these match of the week illustrations now, and looking for those kind of good good moments. Um, more often than not, it's the moments between the big moves than the big moves themselves that I think make the the best kind of like illustrations. Yeah, and I think that's obviously part of it. Oh man, it was actually really tricky doing it. Like it's a sort of like a bit of an artist note kind of thing, because I sort of will will pause the frame to kind of like you know get get which moment could be good uh, reference, um, and with this, uh, is uh, ROH's video production was was not the best back in the day. I mean, I thought the camera work and everything was actually quite above the standards and then the lighting and everything of, of a lot of independent wrestling from that era. But I don't know what it was about um, from the actual video editing side of it, but there's a weird thing where anytime you like pause it where there's some movement going on, there's all these like weird horizontal lines through the oh, yeah. <laughs> through the, the picture. And I don't know whether this was like them, you know, cheaping out on on doing like long play or something on like the <laughs> the video editing when they like put it on the DVDs or something like that but um yeah it made made it quite challenging so any any uh still frame that I'll get that had any sort of movement was so like um disfigured by all of this like these weird static horizontal lines that that came in uh when when you uh freeze frame it so it sort of made me more have to lean towards the the, mat, the moments that had less movement. But I think that was for the best because I, yep. yeah, I was, I was really um, happy with that one when I sort of like got got to it and it was sort of like, oh, yeah, that that is the, the moment 
But yeah, there is a lot as I look back at these match of the weeks of just dudes looking real tired and selling. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I'm sort of I'm, I'm in, on your Instagram page now. I'm sort of having a look at some of them. The thing is, when you've got those ones where they're they're tired and you've got that sort of not rest moment, but you know the the moment between the big moves, like they're the ones where you tend to get like those levels in your artwork where you've got someone right in the foreground and then you've got like the person behind them and the mm. crowd behind that. So you've got that real depth to the to the art, which looks awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Whereas like with your moves where they're actually hitting each other, like those guys are then probably, you know, be on the same plane of your art. So it's like it's going to have left depth, even if the, the artwork and the move looks cool. It's, you know, it's going to be a different uh different sort of feel to the artwork yeah for sure i think it conveys a certain element of uh of, of drama and sort of having that bit of dimension to it and like the, the foreground background or whatever kind of thing um but yeah it's it's funny because you watch a match like this and your big memory of it is like oh yeah they just like both kicked each other real hard so it'd be sort of like the standard thing to be like, oh, yeah, so like one of the – you definitely would have a moment of like either of them like kicking one another like real hard. Yeah. But even that, when you're thinking about sort of the, the angle that the camera's capturing that from, a lot of the time I found – because I was like going through and I did take a few screenshots of some of those kicking kind of like exchanges. Um, and it's like – I don't know what it is about the, the – um, process of the kick but most of the time you're just seeing a dude's like back and like you're not even yeah. really seeing the guy's face very much who's like taking it uh a lot of the time um so that that sort of makes it a little bit more challenging too i think i generally try to pick moments where you can sort of like capture the dude's faces and capture like the emotion of the the match a little bit more um yeah but yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting stuff when you break it down. I'm glad we got to sort of talk a bit more about this side of it. It colors a bit more of like the um, the, the wrestling art element of what this podcast yeah. is meant to be. <laughs> but like even with that, like when you're saying with the kicks, as we were saying earlier, what's really cool about their kicks is how explosive they are. It's like you can't get that in a still image. Like you can, you can show the impact. So you know how hard it hit, you can get that in the image, but like that movement and explosiveness, like that's, it's, that's just the way they move. You can't, you wouldn't necessarily be able to capture that. So yeah, getting that, that drama and the, the looks on their faces is, is much more important. I think for this match. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was one moment uh, talking about sort of like strike exchanges and the whole, like stiff thing of, of this match and like dudes laying it in which was kind of a big part of the appeal obviously there was an amazing like getting down to that that finishing stretch one of the, i think their last strike exchange actually was the the slap exchange the forearm yep. um palm strikes uh, not forearm but yeah palm strikes and man it was so good like i mean that to me Looking back at all the Kenta matches I love, I think that's that's always the best part, like getting down to that sweet like exchanges of, uh, of, of palm strikes and like ducking one and coming back with two and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was, and when, when they were exchanging there and it was just Kenta like quickly, like barely perce perceivably throwing up his, his left arm to guard one. Mm. And then hitting key with, I don't remember what he hit him with straight after that, but like that was the thing that stopped the exchange. It was just this quick guard. So he was caught off guard and then Kentus, it nailed him and it was, 
it was awesome. Another bit, it was like, I can't remember the exact moment, but similar, Kenta always hits those sweet, like, spinning back kicks, those those uh, yep. TNA kicks, as we used to call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, another thing I feel has been lost to the sands of time. I can't remember the last time I saw a sweet TNA kick in current wrestling. Bring them back, please. That's, that's all I would be doing. I can't <laughs> kick as high anymore, so if I came back, it'd just be TNA kicks, run off the ropes, another sort of kick. <laughs> But the way Kenta landed this one where he just, like, fucking gets him and you see, like, Loki kind of, like, crumple from the, the impact of it. Like, not like yeah. uh, kind of the opposite of, of, I guess, how we would refer to some of those TNA kicks that are just, like, part of a, a sequence kind of thing or yeah. they set something else up. This is, like, a spinning back kick that is meant to fuck your life up. Yeah. That reminds me of one from a different match, but no, we got we're talking about this match. But, yeah. <laughs> Naoki Sano or uh, Takuma Sano, as he was known back in the day in, in Noah, master of the the TNA kick. If you ever want to see that done with just the most assholeness possible, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> must have been who who Kenta got it from. So good. Yeah, I think we've talked about almost everything except for like the final bit of the match. Yeah, right. I mean, I think the finishing sequence I wanted to make sure to make mention of in that that was, again, I guess we mentioned it earlier with when that This Is Awesome chant kind of like came in, but it's just like when you get a proper, proper great, like tippy-top level, like all-time kind of great wrestling match, there's a point where it just kind of like clicks into that like hyper-overdrive kind of like thing. Um and, and you're just watching it and you're just like, man, this is like fucking magical. And that was the feeling that I got like when like you thought like, oh, yeah, this has been like such great stuff. But then somehow it turned it up another level. Um, man, I can't even remember what it was specifically. You might have some notes, but uh, that just in general, that whole like finishing, I want to say like three minutes of the match was like some of the best professional wrestling you'll ever see. Yeah, it was. I don't remember whether this this is awesome champ started, but yeah, it, it could have been anywhere in those last few minutes where it's just like, it's it's overwhelming how awesome this has got. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us just like continually saying on this podcast, this was fucking awesome because it was. It was. Uh, and like, and so then the final part of the match for anyone who didn't hasn't watched it, like go watch it. It's free on YouTube. But like the final part is Kenta hitting the go to sleep, right? Which like we've been since conditioned to learn that like that's his finisher, so that was probably the end. But back then it wasn't. He still had the psycho knee, so he's hit the go to sleep, and then you just see him wait for a second until he's sort of standing, then run off the ropes and just nail him with that knee. And it's ah, oh, it was it's such a vicious and cool looking move when he could still do it. Like I feel like it's got to be a hard move to do because you got to got that you need to have that high vertical leap and be able to tuck that knee all the way up but then when it hits someone in the head like that and you're just like yeah okay so obviously you've killed them so yes you won your match <laughs> yeah i mean i absolutely um love danielson of course um and, and he's you know since sort of like you know so many people borrowed stuff from um loki over the years from you know uh, i mean not loki from from kenta um but that like the way that he hit the Bisaku knee at this point was just like no again, no one will ever do it that that cool. Yeah. Then neither him. Like it's a sad thing, like what you're saying sort of about um like 
that was one of the things watching this was like how much Kenta's offense at this point was was based on um on I guess that high energy kind of like um like a, a lot of like big fast kind of movements uh, there's, there's a word I'm looking for here that's just not coming. The to me. the athleticism. I guess general athleticism, but also sort of like um, ex- explosiveness is is the yep. word that I'm looking for, and it's sort of that um, level to where it that is the thing that goes. Um, you know, yeah. first as you get older, like you can keep certain things, but you lose that like fast paced explosiveness. Um, so I do respect a lot how uh, Kenta has adapted his style over the years, and I still honestly think he's an amazing wrestler and still has like awesome matches. Like he had a fantastic one, his big return to to Noah um, early this year on their big uh, Budokan show. Um, but yeah, it, watching him in his prime like this is like such a treat. Yeah, it's and. Like this happened earlier in the match, but even just like his, he goes to do his uh, springboard back in the ring. So he springs out, springs up onto the ropes, and then does his big drop kick. And he just springs so much, like he's somehow super bouncy. It's like Kenta can't do that anymore. But back then, like he would do it so quickly and so explosively. You're just like, ah, oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, oh, dude, he's like jumping, um, like clothesline off the top as well. He always would get like yep. so high on that. Oh. Man, so, so great. This was fantastic, everybody. Again, like Brad said, if you haven't already seen it, bloody watch this match because I think this might be a big call, but I reckon this may be my favourite match in Ring of Honor history. And I can't believe that it didn't get five star. I mean, that's I don't want to debate Dave Meltzer star ratings, but to me, this is like just all-time perfect match and I, I can't fathom, um, you know, it, it not meeting what, what today is sort of seen as the five-star criteria. But I don't want to get into that stuff. Yeah, I, I, like, what, there's nothing that can be changed or fixed in it. It's a, it's a perfect match. Yeah, yeah. I think that is the great way to sum this up. This was a perfect, perfect match. And, yeah, I just, it, it so got me... Um, back into I think the nostalgia of it was like had a big impact because it got me so like back into that vibe of like the um 2000s indie kind of wrestling uh so now because this is coming out a day later uh we can we can tell people this uh next match of the week uh is uh Super Dragon and El Generico we won't talk too much about it because that's what next week's episode is going to be but um this one totally created that like it reignited that love for this era of wrestling for me so i don't know if more match of the weeks are going to be from this this time period but man i love early mid 2000s indie wrestling so so much yeah for sure i this this is this is when i got into it so like this is it holds that nostalgia place, but also you look back and it's just so good. Yeah, it's not just nostalgia for nostalgia's sake and we're making out this thing that like wasn't actually that great, is amazing through these rose-coloured glasses. Watched in any time period, this is just a bloody perfect match. Agreed. 
So good. All right, Bradley. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show today. This was a blast uh, for me to just revel in, in all of this stuff that I, I love so much, this period of ROH and everything. Um, and I think it's cool that I get to do it with, with someone else who had that, that same kind of thing. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for watching this match with me on my birthday. <laughs> thank you for, for having me watch that match. Thank you for putting this back in front of my eyeballs. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that illustration would not have happened had you not chosen to, to pick for us to watch that match. Fantastic. Lovely. Well, Bradley, uh, do you have anything that you would like to plug on the way out? I really don't. I was listening to last week's episode and I'm like, we're going to get to the plug section and I, I don't <laughs> post on social media. So no, not really. Go watch this match. It's on, it's on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel. Any, any movie recommendations for our, our, our listeners failing that? Uh, Godzilla Minus One's probably still out at cinemas. That was pretty fun. Oh, that was fantastic. Good call. And uh, if you haven't watched There Will Be Blood recently, oh, fuck, that's a good movie as well. <laughs> We're just talking about things I really like. This match, There Will Be Blood. Ooh. These are the things from the last year that I'm like, oh, I'll revisit them and they were awesome. I'm definitely due for a rewatch of that because I am a big, big fan of Daniel Day-Lewis and I remember that movie just being absolutely amazing so everyone it go really out is. of your way to watch godzilla minus <laughs> one uh and there will be blood if you haven't already seen it amazing stuff i think that actually works really well as sort of a, a um i can't remember the word but like a, a a co-piece to the recent kills of the flower moon oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they both got that same period setting yeah, yeah both about oil i guess <laughs> All right. Um, well, I'll, uh, a big thank you to our, our listeners for listening to this one. I uh, appreciate time. A big thank you also to the great guys at Social Suplex. Uh, keeping the lights on here, letting me do this thing, talk to my friends, just nerd out about wrestling and art and all the things. It's great. Uh, socialsuplex.com. Bunch of other rad podcasts uh mostly about wrestling uh you got one nation radio they've got a aew focused podcast i think there's even a wwe focused one if you like that kind of stuff um and of course uh my favorite podcast about new japan pro wrestling keeping it strong style so check out all that stuff you can check out my stuff at chris things on instagram and twitter hear all of the the news ski about uh, this podcast new episodes coming out new guest announcements uh but also uh, especially on the instagram side of it you can keep it up with my art uh so i have the match of the weeks as we've been talking about but i have a bunch of other stuff too had a sweet big lebowski piece that i posted the other day and i got a, a lino cut print of that that i'll be posting in the near future um but also christhings.com.au where you can buy said art uh, so if you check out that, I've got prints, I've got some originals, calendars even as we approach 2024. Good time on that, I reckon. If you if you want a, a poster, uh, a calendar rather, that has some sweet uh, Mexican wrestlers and uh, cowboy skeletons, I, I don't know who else is exploring that niche, so this might be your only calendar to do that. Uh, but christhings.com.au there and, and yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your time. And I will see you next week. Bye.
thank you so much, Brad. That was really fun. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad it... It's like I said, first time I've been on a podcast, I was like, oh, I'm a little nervous. What if I got nothing to say? I think you did great. Thank you. I think this will be really fun. <laughs>